Well, as Ernie said, I'm going to be talking about the extravagant kindness of God. And we're going to look at a story which is going to be kind of a preview of God's gift to us through Jesus Christ. But before that, I want to ask a question to all of you. How many of you out there like to lose? Like when you play games, when you're looking for a job, when uh, you're trying to date somebody, <clears throat> and you lose, and you like that. Anybody? Uh, good, you're all normal. Because <laughs> I don't know. There's, you know, people say it's okay to lose, and, and I've never felt that that was the right thing. Ever since I was a little kid, I remember I was on a, on a baseball team, and my team was terrible. We lost every single game that season. And, you know, they, they have this saying, right? It's not whether you lose, win or lose. It's how you play the game. But even as a kid, you know, playing to lose is not a whole lot of fun. So that lesson never drilled into me about it's okay to lose. Because I learned very young that there's these sayings that come true. Winners take all. Winners, or the victors, goes to spoils. Because when you're standing in the lineup after a game and they're raising their trophies, my little consolation ribbon just doesn't measure up to the size of those trophies to the winners, right? And it's the same thing if you look in life, like in the corporate world. We know that whenever there's a change in the CEO, my friends who are in companies like that, it's actually a warning sign for everybody else to start brushing up their resumes because it's time to go look for a new job when your boss just lost their job. Also, in, in politics, right, after an election, when there's a change in administration, there's going to be also now a change in the, in the staff that supports the administration. Happens every four years. That happens when um, a new uh, politician is elected. And then even in sports, we're in the middle of, of football right now, and the season's coming to an end, but this com coming Monday is often called Black Monday. It's because a lot of teams that have a losing season, their coaches are fired on this coming Monday. And when that happens, entire staff have to resign. So that truth, victors goes to spoils, runs really deep when those days happen. Well, this morning, I want, to look, want us to look at a story about a victor who does something very unusual. Because he's entitled to do whatever he wants to do, but he chooses to do something out of kindness. And so if you have your Bibles, I want us to go to 2 Samuel 9, verses 1 through 13. It's one of my favorite Old Testament stories. It's about the story of David and Mephibosheth. So if you have your Bibles, let's follow along with me as I start with verse 1 in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makir, son of Emil in Lodabar. 
So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba has 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Now, in this story, there are very important characters. There's David. He is the David of the David and Goliath story. He's a shepherd boy who now becomes king of Israel. He's the the winner. He's the victor. And there's also Saul. Saul was the former king. He was killed in battle, and he was actually one who was chasing after David. He was trying to get rid of David. He would trying to kill him, and David was always trying to run away from him. And so Saul had a son named Jonathan, who happened to be David's best friend. And David loved Jonathan and would do anything for Jonathan. And Jonathan had to side with his own father against David, and he actually died also in battle. But Jonathan asked David to promise him one thing is that even if he dies, that he would take care of his family. And so David, being his best friend, made that promise to Jonathan. So here in this story, we see that David is now the king. And perfectly acceptable in those times for victors goes to spoils is that usually the winner gets to kill off all the heirs of the previous regime because family members will tend to seek revenge if they still survive. So nobody ever blamed any ruling king to go ahead and do that. That's called entitlement. He's entitled to do that because that's the right of victors. But here, David does something that is totally strange, totally unusual, out of extravagant kindness. He seeks out a member of Saul's family, happens to be his grandson, and it's Mephibosheth, to grant him some kindness. And the reason he does this is because in verse 1 it says, David says, is there anyone still left at the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So I told you that Jonathan asked David to promise him this one thing, to take care of his family, because he knew that David would rightfully be the king soon, because God chose David to be king of Israel, and nobody goes against God. And here, when uh, David is the king, 
he fulfills his promise to Jonathan. And this is a principle that reminds all of us how do we treat our promises and covenants. Here, David, being a man of God, and he's described in the Bible as one who goes, who goes after the heart of God. He's a man of God, and he's a man of integrity, and he remembers his promise to his friend Jonathan. So even though it seems awkward, maybe it seems unusual, maybe it's even dumb, because he leaves one of the survivors of the previous king's heirs to live, because potentially he can uh, rebel against him. And actually, there is a story later where Mephibosheth actually sides with one of David's enemies. But here, David does the unusual thing. He does the extravagant thing. He actually allows Mephibosheth to live. And specifically, what are some of the things that tangibly David did to demonstrate his kindness to Mephibosheth? We see this in the scripture in verse 7. David says, I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. So there, we, we get an idea that David isn't just throwing words out there. He actually backs up what he says by saying that, one, he lets him live, which is a great gift of kindness. He also restores to him his grandfather's estate, which is a lot of land, a lot of cattle. And, and so Mephibosheth is going to be able to live off of that estate. So that's very generous. And then he also, David also tells Mephibosheth that he can dine at his table. And that's representative of more than just eating at the king's table. It's a great honor to be able to, to sit at the king's table. Not too many people can do that. Matter of fact, later it's actually mentioned only the king's sons get to dine with him on his table. So here, I have a challenge and something for us to reflect on. How do you appreciate the kindness that God demonstrates to you. And also, in response to that, is there someone this week you can show that kind of extravagant kindness to? Now let's look at Mephibosheth. We just looked at, at, at David, and we're going to look at Mephibosheth right now and see what, what we can learn about him. What are the facts that we can get out of the scripture verses? One, we find that Jonathan is is his father. And then, being Jonathan's son, that makes him the grandson of Saul. So, obviously, he's on the wrong side of David's uh, list of people to, to favor. But here, we, we see also that Mephibosheth is crippled. And this happened when he was about five years old. When his father and his grandfather was killed in battle, uh, when they were trying to escape the attackers, uh, Mephibosheth's nursemaid was carrying him, and he ac she accidentally dropped him, and he dropped dropped him on, she dropped him on his feet, and so his both his feet were crippled for life. So that was at a young age of five, and he couldn't walk; he had to be actually carried everywhere that he wanted to go to. He couldn't walk on his own, and, and we also learned 
that that uh, Mephibosheth knew his place in in the culture and society. Uh, when David requested to have him come meet him, he had to come from a place called Lodabar. Now Lodabar is quite a distance from Jerusalem. The king David is residing in Jerusalem, and and Mephibosheth is actually in Lodabar. And today we would call Lodabar it's some part of the country of Jordan. So Jerusalem is on the west of the Jordan River and Lodabar is on the east side of the Jordan River. And it isn't just some flat land. It's not an easy place to get to. Uh, Lodabar is actually a mountainous region of, the, of, the Jor- of Jordan. And so that's actually a good place to be if you're trying to hide. You hide in the caves, you hide in the mountains. So Mephibosheth, knowing that his, his side lost, it's a good place to avoid David by staying as far away from him and in some areas of the country, countryside where it's very difficult to find somebody. So one, we find that he's a cripple and that he's also in a far mountainous region. But here, he gets a, an invitation from, from David to come see him. And in verse 5 it says, So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to him to pay honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Now I'm going to stop here. Can you imagine what's going through Mephibosheth's head? Right? Here's King David. He just called him from Lodabar to come all the way to Jerusalem. The norm in society and in that culture is you get killed. Right? The victor goes to spoils. He's entitled to do what he wants to do. But here, David chooses to show kindness to him. But Mephibosheth is not quite sure about that, right? Have you ever had a, a time in your life that you got invited to something and you weren't quite sure what was up, if it was legit? Well, I remember a time when I think of this story, there's a time I remember when I was back in college. And, you know, when you're in college, you do stupid things. And, and sometimes you get, well, actually, a lot of times you get to laugh about it afterwards, but you kind of wonder, why did you do that? Uh, my college buddies, we were up in Tahoe. We were on, I don't know, I can't remember, it was winter break or spring break. It's one of those breaks. And uh, we were there having fun, playing tennis and, and up in Tahoe. And so I am uh, uh, was not paying attention. I was playing uh, singles with one of my buddies. And I'm, on the corner of my eye, my other two buddies, uh, who were tired of playing singles, were starting to hit on these girls on this other court. They were uh, flirting with them and having a conversation. And I'm going, oh, OK, there they go again. And so I'm just hitting balls with my other friend. And, and, and after we're done, my two other friends said, Oh, we just got invited to go have um, dinner with these girls. And, then, and I'm thinking, this doesn't sound good. There's something going to be terrible. So that's my pessimistic side, but also that's my spider sense. And, and so we're, we're, don't know where they really live. And, and my friend said, we'll just follow their car. And, uh, and actually, as we're following, one of the warning signs, this is not going to be good. We almost got into an accident following them because you're trying to weave through traffic and stuff. 
And so when we get to their, their condo, uh, and they invite us over to have a meal, we all walk in, and there's a, a large crowd of other people in this condo. So, uh, and there was a lot of big guys in this condo. <laughs> and there are, these women say to their guy friends, oh, we just invited some more guys over to have dinner with us. And so those guys were chowing down. And you know, the image that came to my mind is, you ever see those lions in the zoo when they throw the meat? They're kind of possessive of their meat, right? And so when I looked into the eyes of these other guys at their girlfriends, just invited some other guys to come eat, they're going, really? You invited these guys to eat our food? <laughs> I was ready to turn around and run out of there. That was one of the scariest times I ever had in my life. Fortunately, um, the women seemed to be able to control their guys, and we were able to eat uh, politely with each other, and we made our exit. But that was an oppor- one of those times where I said, have you ever been invited to something and you felt, this is going to be kind of uncomfortable? It's going to be a little bit odd. And that's what Mephibosheth was feeling right now. He's feeling a little anxious because he's going into almost literally the lion's den. He's King David's court. And usually you get beheaded. But here, David does something very unusual. And he gives him kindness. To comfort him, David, to his credit, tells him, don't be afraid. And continues by telling him how he would be kind to him. But still, Mephibosheth is in disbelief of this extravagant kindness. And we see this because in verse 8, Mephibosheth bows down, and that's an act of submission. You know, even in the animal kingdom, when an animal bows down, dogs do that to you. When they bow down, it is an act of submission. He is now submitting to the King David. He says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now, this is significant. In biblical times, a dog is not a you know, favored animal. They're considered dirty. And if you consider yourself a dog, you're actually one of the lowest beings in, on earth. And here, Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, grandson of Saul, a, a prince himself, is bowing down to another king and says, I'm a dead dog. He is saying, I'm not worthy of this kindness. He is in total disbelief that David would actually do this. And you know, I think this is something that a lot of us have the same kind of feeling. Because I think what Mephibosheth is going through right now and is expressing right now is low self-esteem. That, yes, Mephibosheth is the king is a king's grandson, but he's crippled. And if you realize in, 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 in biblical times, crippled people, people with handicaps, really have no chance. At the age of five, he could not walk anymore. And realistically, he's not going to be no soldier. He's not going to lead armies. And, and he's not really going to be a real threat to David. David is a mighty warrior. And so here, he's at the king's court, and David just gave him, you know, like winning the lottery. And, and Mephibosheth can't believe it. He can't even accept it. He's not even jumping up and down and screaming uh, in excitement. He calls himself a dead dog. 
And so I want us all to reflect maybe in our own minds there are times when we feel we don't deserve God's kindness. That we also feel we are um, not worthy of, of the joys of life. And in some ways, a lot of us feel we are just like Mephibosheth. I want to read a quote that I found from Henry Nouwen. He says, Over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I am a nobody. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. So today, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling rejected, if things aren't going well, you feel like you're a loser, God wants to know and he wants to tell you that you are his beloved. And that as his sons and daughters, he wants you to know that he loves you and that he, like David, will shine upon you his extravagant kindness. Well, David granted Mephibosheth to always eat at the king's table, just like one of his own sons. And, and that is a great honor. And as Christ followers, do we feel like we have access to the king? Because as sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father, he has given us reigns to his kingdom. And do you celebrate that fact? Do you realize that you are heirs to the kingdom of God? If you call Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are princes and princesses of the Heavenly Father. You know, during Advent, we were uh, celebrating each Sunday communion. And communion is also called the Lord's table. We invited you, if you have called yourself followers of Christ, to come to his table. And a big element uh, of communion is eating of the bread and the, and the wine. And that's food. And food is, is one of the elements that we all celebrate with. I mean, it's the holidays, right? During Christmas and New Year's, Thanksgiving too included. A big part of those holidays is food. Because food is good. It represents goodness. And God acknowledges that. And many of his celebrations are filled with food. And matter of fact, even in the simple Lord's table, there are elements of food there because they connect with us. We understand goodness through food. And so today, because we're all together, it's a special Sunday, we're going to do something kind of fun. I'm going to ask the ushers to come down, and they're going to pass out food items for you. So each of you will get one item, and each of these items I have chosen are going to remind us of the triune God that we worship and who loves us. So as they're passing it out, 
Don't be picky. <laughs> and, and parents, forgive me. I know there are candy and some of you don't like to have your kids, but children, this is worship. <laughs> so maybe for one Sunday, you get to eat candy in service. Okay, everybody get one? If you haven't gotten one, can you raise your hands? And so the ushers can get you something. All right, so I'm going to go through each of these items. The first one, those of you who got the beef jerky, all right, can you raise your hands? All right, you can go ahead and open it and... Place the jerky in your mouth, and maybe close your eyes as you eat this item. And as you're eating this, I'm going to read some scripture. Now, this savory piece of beef that you're eating is representative of the fattened calf that was killed by the generous father in the parable of the prodigal son, or the lost son. In Luke 15, verses 23 to 24, the verses say, Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. In this parable, the generous father is representative of the heavenly father, who is wonderfully generous to us. So enjoy that savory piece of beef. Those of you who have the zots, can you raise your hands? Okay. Now go ahead and open that and place that piece of candy in your mouth. And if you've ever had one of these, you're going to be surprised. (laughs) So go ahead and put that piece of candy in your mouth. And if you're actually brave enough, you might want to, you can actually chew into that hard candy. (laughs) Okay, so as you're experiencing that Zotz candy, that fizz on your tongue reminds us of the Holy Spirit who exploded onto the scene in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what happened, or they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So as that Zotz candy explodes in your mouth, as your tongue feels like it's on fire, that reminds us of the Holy Spirit. Now the final group. It's the uh, Sour Patch. So the Sour Patch candy, those of you who have that, you can go ahead and open it, place this in your mouth, and uh, experience the taste. 
So as you experience the Sour Patch Candy, it's an extreme sour taste. And it reminds us of Jesus' suffering on the cross for our sins so that we can also be heirs of God. So as your uh, taste buds cringe under that sourness, remember that Jesus suffered for you. Romans 8, verse 17 says, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. David showed great uh, kindness, extravagant kindness to, to Mephibosheth. And that was just a preview of God's kindness to us through his son, Jesus Christ. God you know, loved us. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave us Jesus who laid down his life for us and in return, what is our response to God's generous kindness to us? 1 John three sixteen through 18 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Therefore, when we receive God's kindness, it isn't something we should just sit on and enjoy for ourselves. God's intention is for us to pass it on. That as much as we receive his kindness, we are also then to give others that kindness. If some of you who follow me on, on, on Facebook, uh, I posted something this, this week and... Uh, it was one that happens ever so often. It's one that still touches me when it does happen. Uh, I was delivering a denture to one of my patients. <clears throat> and, and usually I do this after they, they pay me because I've had experiences where I deliver crowns or bridges and dentures. Uh, people kind of disappear or they won't pay me. And, and it's kind of one of those odd things, you know, in, in health profession, uh, especially those of us who have to essentially cut people up, uh, we have to make them whole. So the law kind of protects them by saying that as doctors, we can't hold them hostage to make them pay. For so by integrity, we have to make them whole. So that's sometimes we get taken advantage of. Um, so... This particular woman says, as I was delivering her denture, she said, I can't pay you. And then I said, okay. And you know, I've heard the story. And, and, and there are certain people I like and certain people I don't like. But this woman I, I particularly like because she's actually down and out. She's a former alcoholic. And um, she's on welfare. And that's cool. That's all right. And that's, that's my calling is to help people. And, and I said, fine. Um, because it was near Christmas, and I knew she had been talking about getting these dentures for a long time. And, and, uh, and I knew, you know, Christmas is a special time. It's a time when, when you see a lot of family and friends. And you don't realize the importance of your smile and your teeth, especially in the, your front teeth. And, you know, there's that child's Christmas song, right? All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. 
And so I remember that song. It's always played on the, on the radio anytime, anyway, over the uh, loudspeaker system in my office. And, and so for this woman, I knew all she wished for for Christmas was her two front teeth. And so I said, that's okay. You can pay me when you can. But here, you can have the dentures. And, and she looked in the mirror and she told me, it's been so long since I've had teeth in front. And, and she got really emotional and she started crying. And then she said, God bless you. And for me, that is the reason why I live. That's the reason why I serve a God who loves me so that I can love others in the same way. That's my story. And in coming, this coming year, one of our goals in 2014 is to hear your stories. That each one of us be able to tell our stories to others. And then and by telling those stories, and hopefully they include stories of how you've been transformed by Jesus Christ, that you will also bless others by telling your story. And then later telling a story that will bless us. I want to close our time by reading a parable, and it's the parable of the sheep and goats from Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. This past week, I was able to do this for a woman. Thousands of years ago, David did this for Mephibosheth. So this coming week, maybe you can do this for someone else too. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we often do not appreciate the extravagant kindness that you have shown to us. Often, we walk with an attitude of entitlement that we deserve things when in actuality, we don't deserve anything. Lord, I ask that you continue to work among us that we may be able then to experience more of you and your love so that we, being transformed, can love others more in the name of Jesus. And we thank you in his most precious name.